that you walked in here with, but make sure you don't leave with it. You don't leave with it. He has done everything to set you free. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. He did everything for you that he could. And now it's up to us to respond to what he's done. Amen. 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 If you take your Bibles and turn with me, stand one more time just for the reading of the word. <clears throat> Taking a look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Again, that's Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And we have it. Please say amen. Amen. It says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease. Say every. Every. Not among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And just, just for a little while, I'm not going to keep you too long. For a little while, I want to talk to you in this thought of help wanted. Help wanted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us, God, on the cross, God. And I pray right now that this vessel that's standing here, Lord, that you remove me and begin to speak your word to your people, whether it be in this building or online, Lord, wherever form they're listening in, Lord. I pray for all those that are far off, and I pray that we would continue to be changed by your word and have it just not be a change for just today, Lord, but maybe it would be a change for Monday, for Tuesday, for Wednesday, for Thursday, for Friday, Lord, for the next month and for the year, Lord, that your word would go forth and it will not return void, God. We pray these things in your precious and mighty name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. As we continue moving into 2023, and you look back, and we're well into 2023, but you look back in 2022, one of the biggest challenges that 2022 had was that there was a shortage of laborers. Workers, people ready to work, ready to grow, ready to learn. Supply chain issues, right? Employers cited that the biggest challenges that they had was finding both the manpower and the resources to meet work demands. Now, we, uh, many of you know, we, we moved here from the Twin Cities area, and we were actually in a suburb called Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And, and when we moved down here, locally, things had gotten so tight up there that there was an article in today, uh, the Today Show website featuring a new state-of-the-art Taco Bell. Christiana, can you, can you put this up here? And, and this, this Taco Bell was designed post-pandemic to be less reliant on workers. And so what they have here, and I'm going to describe this to you, is they, 
they have a Taco Bell and, and they had four lanes and they designed it so that essentially you drive up into one of those four lanes and they engineered it. Can you scroll down a little bit for me here? Keep going. Keep going. Good. Right. Let's keep going. One more. One more. Keep going down, down, down. Uh, right. Keep going. One more down. Perfect. Right there. They engineered it. So essentially they had these things called food elevators. And so what you would do is you drive up and you'd place your order in the app and they would, they would put the, the, the food or your order right in these things called elevators and they shoot it right down to you. And they promise you that you can get your order within two minutes or less. Yes, real deal. Now you take a look at that thing, scroll up for me. It don't look like a restaurant, does it? Look like, looks like a bank. Okay, look like the Death Star or something. You know? But, but, but... Because there's a shortage, there's so much of a shortage, what the companies and restaurants have actually had to do is they've actually had to redesign and re-engineer their processes because they can't find anybody to work. Now, if you, if you go a little bit farther into this article, there's going to be another story about a gentleman that owns a franchise chain in, in Tennessee called Baby Jack's. It's a, it's a barbecue restaurant, and he was so hard up. He didn't, have, he didn't have anybody to actually work that he actually designed a, a software called Byte Ninja. Anybody ever heard of Byte Ninja? What Byte Ninja allowed him to do is it actually allowed him to then have hire people that could actually work the drive-through while working remotely. And so what he could do now is he could actually hire people in New York to work his drive-through in Tennessee. Okay. We're getting to a point now, and, it's, and this is, I even read it farther in the article, it says that Sonic Checkers and McDonald's have been experimenting with using AI to work drive-throughs. So in order to meet the work demands, and the restaurants have had to rely on technology and processes to offset the need for actual laborers, human beings, no laborers, nobody to work, no, not enough hands, help wanted. That's the theme that you see around here. And I bet you if I, if I raise your hand, where every job that you work on, are they hiring? Yes, yes. Anybody else's job you hiring? Yes, yes. Now here's what I'm going I'm to set this premise, and I told you all that to set this premise, and, and remember this, because one of the themes that we, we understand through Scripture is that the natural world will, will reflect what's going on in the spiritual. Okay. Now hear me now, because I'm going to set all this to set this up. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against, what, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so what the Bible seems to articulate to us, it says that we don't strive against what we can readily see, but what we are in contention with is what you would call an unseen realm. It's a realm that you can't see. It's a realm in the shadows. It's in the background. In fact, in Hebrews 8.5, the Bible says that when Moses got the, the, the instructions for building the tabernacle plan, God had actually told him, he says, see that you make it to the exact specifications of what I've given you. Okay, so in other words, make it exactly to the, don't, don't cut any corners. Make it exactly as I've told you. And he says this is the reason why. He says, because it is a shadow of heavenly things. It's a shadow of heavenly things. In our realm, understand, understand, everybody understand what a shadow is in our realm. What a shadow is, a shadow is not the real thing, is it? 
A shadow, it's, it's, when I say the real thing, it's, it's, it's not tangible. You can't grab it. It's not something physical. But what a shadow is essentially is this. It's is when an, a, a physical object, a tangible object, intercepts the light. What begins to happen is it makes this darkened image, what we call a silhouette, on the wall or makes it on the floor. That's a shadow. And so my kids, maybe you played this growing up, but my kids would oftentimes play that game where they try to step on each other's shadows. And the game always went well for a while until somebody figured that they they decided to step on each other. But but it worked well because they understood, because you understand that the shadow is not the real thing. It's just a reflection. It's a byproduct. So in 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, it says this, So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal, but the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. So here's what the Bible begins to say, and this is where you've got to scratch my head a little bit. Scripture tells us, look, the real thing is in not what you can actually see, the physical world. But the real thing is actually in the unseen realm. And so here's what, I, here's what I want to bring to you this morning. I don't want anyone to take me out of context, but what I'm, I want to bring to you this. And this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a thought. It's a thought. Could it be, could it be in our world today as we move toward the end times? Everybody, do you agree with me? We're in the end times here. As we march toward the end times and things seem to be accelerating. The violence is getting worse. The social issues are getting worse. The crisis, the tragedies, and all the volatility that we see within this realm, specifically in regards to the shortage of laborers. Okay, could it be, could it be that the shortage of laborers that we see within this realm is really a reflection of something that's shaking down in the spiritual which brings Jesus' point that the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. So what we see being made manifest where you cannot find anybody to work, you, there, there's a new shift in the mindset of work, of how we go about work. But I'm here to tell you that, that maybe, maybe that's only a reflection that something is shifting in the spiritual realm. Opening text, Matthew chapter 9, we pick up the scene, and the Bible says that Jesus is going on a tour, and he's going, the Bible says, from town to town to village to village. And it says he's doing three things. He's teaching the synagogues, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus is a one-man wrecking crew, and he's systematically moving through the region. And then in verse 36, it says this. It says, but... Now, grammatically, hear hear me now. Grammatically, whenever you have a sentence, okay, this is just grammar, and the sentence ends with but, okay, but is what you call a transition word. What it does, I was in sin, but God, okay? I was going to the store, but, but either pauses the sentence and it redirects it the other way or lets you know, hey, something is stirring here. So when it says this, it says Jesus was going from town to town, village to village, healing, he was preaching the gospel, he was healing people of every disease, and he was teaching in the synagogue, but it lets you know that something has shifted in the verse. 
Something has changed. Something all of a sudden began to touch him. Something stirred him. Something moved him to a different level. Something caused him to take notice. And what caused him to take notice was when he saw the multitudes. He saw the sheer number of people that the Bible describes. It says that they had fainted, they had scattered, and they were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks about and he sees these waves of people that have thrown all that they can at living this life and they've left it with absolutely nothing. People who had no more strength to keep fighting, no more patience to keep waiting, no more hope to keep looking. Their get up and go had gotten up and gone. They fainted. The Bible says that they had scattered. People were in disarray. There was no organizations of people from all over. They were beaten down. They were broken down for various reasons. They had scattered. Understanding the New Testament context, and this is a vein that we have to understand as far as what was actually going on in the New Testament time, but, but life was hard. It was hard living. For one, the Roman Empire had so heavily taxed the population that most people were in consistently financial strain. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Where, where it seems like you, you lived from paycheck to paycheck, and as soon as you get that check that comes in, you, you look at it for about a couple hours, and all the, all the bills come out. You know, you go in that constant cycle where you look at the check, it comes in and it goes out. It comes in and goes out. And you, at the end of the work, we got to look and say, I don't even know how I work this week. I don't, that's just me sometimes. And, and you're not miss. I'm not talking if you mismanage your money. I'm not talking you did. If you mismanage your money, you mismanage your money. But I'm talking to you, you got a budget and, and the check comes in and once it gets put into all these categories, once it pays off the light, the electricity, you start to scratch your head and then you look at what Sam took and Sam did, Sam, <laughs> Sam, <laughs> you just throw up your hands. And there's no doubt, okay, that the people were under consistent financial strain. But the second part was that the religious system in the New Testament time was an absolute mess. It was an absolute mess. Okay, it's one thing when the governmental system is, is, has you oppressed, but when the system that were in the institutions that reflect your faith are out of whack, okay, it's an entirely different issue because when we talk about coming to the house of God, this is the only thing that transcends all the other areas in your life where you can come and you can have hope, you can have peace, you can have joy. But when this is taken away, that's when people don't have any hope. Now, if you know anything about Judaism during the time of the New Testament, Judaism was a mess. It was broken up in all these different sects and factions. The Pharisees, they, they believed that the, the Torah, they, they had some things, right? The Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible was the word of God. They believed in the resurrection, but they also had what you call rabbinical commentary called the Talmud that they would hold on par with the Torah. And so where they got messed up is they held the Bible in the same vein with human traditions, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Zealots only wanted to take over the place because they were so focused on a, a, a kingdom now, a Messiah that was going to come and break the back of the Roman government. And there another group called the Essenes saw it all as a mess. And what they decided to do is completely drift away and become in a monastic aspect, meaning they just became monks. Scattered. And so it left the average person in New Testament times scattered. 
Now, here's, here's the uncanny part about it is that, and I didn't have this, I was going to pull it up. If you take a look at Judaism and all its different factions and sects during the New Testament period, that's at his first coming. Take a look at Christianity right now before his second coming. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Third, the Bible says that Jesus says they were wandering like sheep without a shepherd. They had no direction. They had nobody to follow. They were, they were wandering through life. Anybody in here remember being like that? Maybe somebody in here says, I'm still run, wandering around like that. <laughs> no, nobody leading, nobody instructing. The reality of it is that a majority of the people in Jesus' day had been absolutely crushed. They had been crushed by religion. They had been crushed by government. They just felt run over. Anybody ever come in here feeling like I've just been run over in life? And it was a combination of all these components. Hear me now, because I'm trying to set this scene up. But it's a combination of all these components and the sheer multitude of people having no direction, being broken, having gotten to a point at life in which they simply didn't want to move forward. The Bible says that it triggered something inside Jesus in which it says he was moved with compassion. Now, compassion, that's a compound word. It's a compound word. It's that prefix com meaning with and passion. That's the second part. But when you see the prefix com in front of any word, communion, we just took communion. That means intense feelings or thoughts with, okay? To comfort, that means to console with. To combine is when you put things with each other. So whenever you see that prefix com in front of any word, it denotes with. The scripture says that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. He had been going about his business when all of a sudden he runs up against this mass amount of people that were broken and they were shattered with no direction. And what it did is it began to spark something inside of him. It began to ignite something in him. It began to stir something within his soul. Okay, It hit a nerve with them. Passion. It hit hit that that place where he realizes that there's sheer multitude of these people that have nothing left to give. It began to stir him. Okay. Anybody ever had that happen? Where somebody else's passion, somebody else's excitement, somebody else's situation, somebody else's problem so affects you that you say, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to come alongside with you. It so stirred him, and let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain this. I cannot articulate this. This is something you actually have to feel at some point in your life. Early, early a couple years ago, I was on a visitation, and I was visiting this, this individual in the hospital, and they had a dire, dire state. And as I'm going through this visitation, I'm thinking, what do I pray? What do I say? What do I do? What don't I do? And I'm going, walking through the hallways. And as I'm walking through the hallways and kind of in my own world, but I look to the side and I look and there's another room and there's, there's a gentleman in there and something just burdened me for him. I looked in his eyes and I kept walking. I was walking by, but, but he, there was, you know, you know normally when, they, when you walk by those rooms, they, the nurse will put her name on the, on the whiteboard and, and they'll, they'll give you little notes. But he had nothing on his whiteboard and, and he just, he had the look of just being lonely. 
He was there all by himself. And something burdened me to go pray with him. I just kept walking, but I just felt overwhelmed. And I, I kept walking, and there's another room, and a child was in there. And something stirred in me and said that that child is too young to be in this situation. I walked by another room, and before you know it, I had not even gotten to the, the person that I was going to see. But there's something that overcame me, and you're simply overwhelmed. Realizing that I was inadequate, inadequate, all of these needs in the hospital, and I was inadequate, and I almost broke down before I got to the place. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Now hear me now, because this is, this is what I'm trying to present you this, this, this afternoon, is that Jesus gets to the point where he, I'm not going to say he was, but he felt Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. He wasn't overwhelmed, but he felt overwhelmed. Hebrews 4.15 says that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but that he was in all. Say, everybody say all. Always tempted like we are, yet without fit sin. So what that denotes is in God in Christ, in his humanity, in the humanity, okay, felt everything that you felt. Everything. Understand, we don't really grasp this concept. Is, and I tell this in Sunday school class all the time. God did not bypass the human experience when he became a man. He didn't, he didn't negate that. So when he got thirsty, he didn't snap his fingers and water was there. You know what he did? He walked his butt up to the same well that you did. He had cotton mouth. He was breathing. He was sweating. He was panting. He did that so that he can connect with you and I. When you say, I'm tired, he says, I've been there. When you say, I've got pain, he says, I've been there. When you say, I'm frustrated, I've been there. When you say, I can't take it anymore, I've been there. He says, I've been where you have been. He felt overwhelmed, realizing that no matter the systematically as he was going from town to town, village to village, the people kept coming in wave after wave after wave after wave. And so the Bible says that he turns his disciples and he tells them to pray that God would send forth laborers. Laborers. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, we get this scene of Jesus looking out at the multitudes. And he's asking for laborers. And let me ask you this this afternoon is, can God find laborers in this house? Can God find laborers? Help wanted. Will somebody in this place go work in your father's field? Will somebody stand up on the job and say, I've been put here to be a witness? Will somebody stand up in the home and say, I've been put here to be a witness? Will some person in high school stand up in the classroom and say, I've been put here to be a witness? Will somebody stand up in the neighborhood and say, I've been put here to be a witness? If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, recognize you're, you're a witness. Okay. If, 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 if Jordan, as, as we say, if you can sing tenor, you're a witness, right? That's the inside joke between him and I. Okay. But the reality of it is in our world, there's a shortage of laborers. And I'm going to tell you why. I'll tell you why. First reason, five of them. We have no confidence in our ability to handle the word. We have no confidence in our ability to handle the word. 
Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The writer of Hebrews identified that there, there was a shortage of teachers or laborers because some folks, they were not teaching the word of God because, in fact, that they were, he says they were still drinking milk. They were still struggling with understanding and applying the basic concepts of Christian living and Christian understanding. But the reason that they were struggling was not because they were new to the faith. Okay? Because the writer says, for by now, for by, by now, you know, you didn't been in this long enough, man, <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean, it's been a couple of years. We didn't, we didn't baptize you. You didn't got the Holy Ghost. By, by now, you ought, you didn't ought to have picked up some stuff. Okay. For by now. And what that indicates is that there's stuff that they should have picked up on. Okay. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, brethren, what? By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Your reasonable. What reasonable means is there's some basic stuff. It's your body. Your body is not your own. Okay. I know this culture saying, my body, my rights. No, it, my body is, your body is not your own. It's not, it's not. He says, it's your reasonable service. What reasonable means, it's the basic level, basic level. There's some basic stuff, how you ought to be looking at your body that's foundational. And so the writer in Hebrews, is he's articulating this, and he uses uh, the physical by comparing it to an adult or someone who's a full age, okay, that should be eating and processing solid food, but they're only able to consume milk. Hear me now. One of the things that's most desperately lacking in our world is Bible literacy. And frankly, it's lacking in our general world. You know why it's lacking in our general world? Because it's lacking in church. There used to be a time period where, you know what, you could run up to the drunk on the street and even he knew David and Goliath. There's some basic stories, some basic stuff that folks actually knew. Okay. But, but here, here, the, the problem why it's lacking in the world, it's lacking in the church. But the bigger problem, hear me now, the bigger problem, you know why it's lacking in the church? Because it's lacking in the home. We don't do it in the home. We don't do it in the home. We've completely slid back and backpedaled from even proper grammar and English because our morality has slid so low. I've got coworkers emailing me, and their, their, you know, the signature on their emails is him, she, he, her. We've changed our grammar, our grammar to fit the moral depravity of this culture, stuff that was never argued about. Never argued about. Never did you have to think about. Never did you thought it was ever going to get here because the culture has shifted so much. I'm a little plug here. Two weeks. We're going to be having a Bible study series on teaching Bible studies. Six week lessons. And we're going to get in here and we're going to dive into that. But it's imperative, child of God, that you and I know the word of God for ourselves. It's imperative. Second Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved. A workman unto God need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
The reason there's a shortage of laborers in the kingdom is because there's been an erosion of abilities and skill sets to handle the word of God. Second reason, fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. John 15, 18, and 20 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We fear rejection. I'll be honest with you. We do. Rejection, you didn't get the job. Rejection, you didn't get the request you made. Rejection, the idea you had. Rejection, the relationship. Rejection is a sign that we are not accepted. That's what rejection is. And we take it personally. Okay, Rejection is most difficult because it hits deep. But Jesus, knowing human nature and the tendency that we have to personalize things, Jesus tells his disciples, do not be surprised. Don't be cut off guard. Don't be stunned. Don't internalize it when you are rejected for the gospel's sake. For they rejected me. The rejection of when you share the gospel with somebody is not a rejection of you personally, but it's a rejection of him. And what it has is that when you get to, we get to a level of spiritual maturity, we don't internalize that as we just keep on moving on. We keep moving on. We feel rejection. Third, we are distracted and self-absorbed. And I'm going to tell you right now, the biggest joker of that is this joker holding his microphone. I'm not preaching anything to you that is not hitting at me first. I am too distracted and I'm too self-absorbed. Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, no man put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit you know what it means? Fit. You're not capable. You don't have enough ability in the physical. If you're not fit, I mean, you cannot handle the weight of it. Fit for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is describing in this instance, he's describing the man, the person that's put themselves in a physical position to do the work, but their attention is elsewhere. They've looked back. Do, do you realize that the enemy is satisfied with us doing any and everything that takes you away from prayer, that takes you away from sharing the gospel, that takes you away from Bible reading, that takes you away? And it's these moments, if I had my cell phone up here, I just want to throw it out the window. Throw it out. All it is is click, click, surf, surf, and this is me. Okay, oh, tick, oh you send me this? Click, 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 click. All it is is clickbait. That's all it is. I've been teasing that, yeah, a, a while back. You know, my parents actually got a smartphone before I did. I kid you not. And some of you know my mama. Okay. <laughs> but some, some days I, I just want to go back to a flip phone. I mean, it's, it's this too much of this, man. Too much. Too much. Pings. Text. We're distracted. Fourth. And I'm winding down here. That's not my job. That's not my job. How many heard something like that before? That's not my job. Okay. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you that that same verbiage that we hear occurs in the church in the topic of labors for the kingdom. 
we have that mindset that, that, that that's pastor's job. Wait till the evangelist shows up. That's the worship leader's job. That's the piano player's job. That's the Sunday school's job. That's not my job. And normally what we used to do is we used to beat up on those folks. But hear, hear me now today. I'm going to give them some grace here. Because what it is, it's a reflection of the person not understanding the depth of what you are a part of. You don't understand what you're actually a part of. And since you don't understand of what you're a part of, you don't understand the scope of your operation. Because if they understood what they're a part of, my, my kids say that to me. They, they, they say, Daddy, you know, we say, sometimes we're too, too, too oldest. I say, oh, pick that up, clean it up, bring it over here. I didn't do that. Solomon did that. What they're not understanding is that you're a part of a family. And, and, and when you are part of a family, it doesn't matter that you didn't do it. It doesn't matter that you left it down there. If you're a part of a family, because mommy and daddy sacrificed for you. We're sacrificing for all of y'all. So it, it behooves you to sacrifice for your little brother. It, because, but they don't understand the, the nature and the scope of what they are part of, and they are part of a family. When you come into church, you've got to understand what you are a part of. And so when Christ calls you to be a laborer, okay, there is no, that's not my job. He's calling you. The harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. Fifth one. And we're going to close here soon. We don't fully grasp the eternal impact. We do not fully grasp the internal impact. Let's stand. I'll tell you a story here. <clears throat> There's a missionary in, uh, to Africa who wit- witnessed an old woman. And that old woman gave her life to, to Jesus Christ. And, and this woman could neither, she couldn't see, she couldn't read, and she couldn't write. But she expressed to the missionary, she said she wanted to share her faith. And so she asked for a, a copy of the Bible in French. And when she got it, she asked the missionary, she said, she, will you underline John 3.16 for you? Will you mark it in the Bible so, so I could find it? Because she couldn't see it all. The missionary wondered, what, what in the world is this blind woman that couldn't see, that couldn't read? What, how is she going to share her faith? What is she going to do? So he began to follow the, the woman, and, and he watches this woman would, would in the afternoon just before school let out, she would make her way to the front door. And when the boys came out of school, when it was dismissed, she would stop one of them and ask each one, she would ask them if they could read or write. And in, if they could read or write in French is first what she'd ask them. And if they said, yes, I can, I can read and write in French, what she would then ask them is she would, she would ask them to read the verse that was marked in her Bible, John 3.16. And then she would, she would ask them if they knew what that actually meant. That woman did that consistently, time after time after time after time. Do you know that the woman led 24 of those boys to the Lord? And 24 of them, listen, hear me now, hold on. 24 of those boys went on to become pastors. 24 pastors came out. Because one woman decided that her limitations did not limit the power of God. 24 pastors. Because a blind woman that couldn't write, 
that couldn't read, but had enough gumption, that had enough passion, that had enough sense, enough to say in her, look, this gospel that I have, it's too much for me. I have to share it. I'm going to open up this altar, but here's what I'm going to ask. And we're going to do something different. If you come up for prayer, I'm going to, we're going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for, first and foremost that whatever burden that you walked in with is, is alleviated. But, but what I'm going to ask here, here's what I'm going to ask. Okay? I'm going to ask that you get another burden. That you get a burden for your work. That you get a burden for your schools. That you get a burden for your neighborhood. That you get a burden for those family members that, that, that you say they're, 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 they're broken, they're lost. That you get a burden for the people in your life that you rub shoulders with on an everyday basis. We're going to pray that. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm, I'm just, just, just please bear with me. I'm going to ask you if, if you, if there's nothing you, you need prayer for as you come up to this altar, I'm going to ask church that if, if there's nothing you're coming up to the altar for, that you would come and you would pray with us. That find somebody within this congregation to pray for. Find somebody to pray with. I cannot pray for everybody. Find somebody to share that burden with. Somebody to lay hands on and speak something into their life. So that they, when they leave those doors, they're empowered to know the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. This altar's open.